0: You are listening to audio from The Church at Junius Heights. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website, thechurchatjuniusheights.org. Well, good morning. Advent, I feel like for years, I would sit during Advent services and I would sort of go along with the flow that... It was Advent because they had decorations up, and it was Advent because Christmas was coming. It was Advent because it was Advent, and that's just what you do on Christmas services, is you talk about this thing called Advent, but it wasn't until a few years ago I understood that Advent meant arrival. And then this idea of this candle and lighting a candle every week and having somebody come up... The meaning of it. If if we've been around church a long time, we've seen this happen. If you grew up Catholic, you like really have seen this happen. But the depths of the reasoning behind all of this is so entrenched in the early church. It's so rich and so deep. And I didn't want us to miss it. I don't want our church to show up here for Advent, for the Christmas season, and just do what we normally do. I don't want us to light candles where we put fire up on top of a table and look at it every Sunday and go fire, the light of the world, Jesus, a lamp, a city on a hill, to not put the pieces together that he has arrived and light has shone in the darkness. I had a lighter up here and it was sitting right here before it started. So part of the transition was to be to light it right here and have the candle lit so as to watch it and see how it's shaken out. Another other oh, there it is. Look at that. Thank you, Taylor. I knew i put it up here. Advent celebrated in lots of different ways around the world. Early on, the Advent candle and the season of Advent met a whole bunch of different things. The early church, for two weeks, would pray and fast in December. For two weeks, they wouldn't think about Black Friday and shopping and Christmas presents and decorations. They would show up and they would gather together after praying and fasting just to worship. They would just think about him returning and just they couldn't wait. And so they'd spend half of December not singing Christmas carols, but remembering that there is hope. The first candle of the Advent wreath is hope. The wreath is evergreen. It's in a circle. It talks about eternity. This tells the story of our faith in a way that is fundamentally special and rich and deep. In the season of Advent, the season that we gather together for the next month to lean into the scriptures and lean in to Christ and to lean in to the gospel. What I, would, I don't want our church to do is, is just cruise on through the holidays busy. We don't slow down to worship. We cruise on through the holidays full of activities and parties and things to do and we don't stop and engage the Father. We don't really be still and remember that he has come. This idea of arrival, this idea of the city on a hill, this idea of Advent was kind of this two-partisan thing where some people would just focus on the fact that he's returning. There wasn't there wasn't spending lots of time on the manger scene. They were spending on the fact that he was returning again. He was going to come again. But then the other part of Advent was spent on the fact that he did arrive. The, The baby was born in a manger. Who is the King? It was spent there. And, and so which way, Trav, which way? Should we lean this way or that way this season? I, I, I suggest we lean in. Because he has come and he didn't leave. He, he's given us his Holy Spirit, that the king has come, Emmanuel, God with us. And if we as a church remember that he has come, he is with us in this gathering right now, that we can engage with him and pray and sit with him and hear from him and, and meet with the risen king, we get to do that as a people. And so we could spend all of our time thinking about the manger and all of our time thinking about the sky ripping open, and I say we spend this this month leaning into the fact that he is with us now. I was listening to a podcast this past weekend about uh, the church in Korea, and how 100 years ago it was almost zero Christians in all of the land of Korea. There was almost no Christians 100 years ago, and now they, they're the rank number two of sending missionaries to unreached people groups in the world. Korea's number two in 100 years. They went from nobody knowing Christ to sending people all over the world to know Christ. And one of the things that that, that church is known for in South Korea is prayer. Uh, the guy who was telling the story, he was, overseas, and he was there visiting and preaching, and, and four in the morning, he's awake because he can hear this thunderous sort of event going on, and the stadium across the way from his hotel was full of people at 4 a.m., and, and he woke up the next morning tired, exhausted, and frustrated, and he goes downstairs, and he says, uh, hey, what is such a cool sport in Korea that they're up playing and screaming, and the person at the desk goes, no, no, that wasn't... Uh, sport, that was the church. They were worshiping and praying all night. They do uh, monthly all-night prayer services. And they've, they've gotten to the place where so they fill the whole stadium. And, and for us to engage Advent, I'm, I'm going to start us in a way that is a little bit different before we jump into the text. I want us to spend one minute praying together, meeting with God. I want us to spend one minute where we lean in with two or three people next to each other, somewhere close by that we'd lean in and we'd actually engage with the one who is with us. That we don't miss Advent and don't miss the one who's here right now. And, and I was convicted listening to that podcast. He goes, how many, how many of your services have any room for you to meet with God? Where there's a chance for the service to break loose in prayer and engaging with the presence of the King where you just don't sit through and have a progression and a timed out deal. Where is your space to meet with the Lord? And so we're gonna try that today for one minute. I want you to lean in with people that you're close to. And if you're all by yourself, move a little bit. Scoot over to somebody just close enough and will one of you pray, and for this Advent season, for for whatever you need to pray for, that we wouldn't miss him. That we would miss that he has come and he is here with us now. And every step of every day, if you're in Christ Jesus, he is with you. That you would ask God for whatever you need to ask him for. And for one minute, we'd pray as a church and engage him uh, because he's come and really respond to Advent by recognizing his presence. And so lean in, find whoever you're going to pray with, and it'll be noisy for a little bit. For a minute and a half, it'll be noisy, and you'll be praying in one person in your group. Pray out loud, asking God, thanking God, worshiping God, whatever you want to say, and then we'll get into the text. How about that? Ready? Go. Lord Jesus, we have hope in this life because you are here. Because you came, that you are perfectly one of us, then none of the sin that besets all of us, that you didn't have any of that. And then you came and you died on the cross and you rose again, you arrived and you're going to arrive again. And so we can start this Christmas season, this Advent season with hope, knowing that you are with us, Emmanuel. And so God, would we be a people that gather together, recognizing your presence, and be a people that leave here in our living rooms, in our families, in our workplaces, in our parenting, in our friendships, we would leave here knowing that you are with us the reality of Christmas would be that you have come. So Lord, thank you that you're with us now. Thank you that you heard every one of those prayers perfectly. You received them with gladness because you're the good father who loves to hear from your kids. And So thanks for meeting with us now. We love you. We thank you for your word and the the names that you have that remind us of who you are. God, help us to understand the text today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for doing that. So, we're looking this Advent season at Isaiah chapter 9, where we read, some of us read very well and completely, and some of us stopped early. We read uh, Isaiah 9, where there's a boy to be born, a a son to be given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and and his kingdom will reign forever. We're going to look at this text a lot over the next month. And Isaiah was a prophet sent by God to speak to God's people, to speak to, God, to God's people on behalf of God. God's people had stopped listening to God and God sent prophets to, to be sirens that spoke the truth of what God had to say to them over and over and over again. And this prophecy that we're looking at is a messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy talking about the coming of this saving king. But for us to understand this Old Testament book and the, the gravity of that prophecy, there's a few things we need to, to make sure we have a backfill for. We need to know some of the things that happened to get us to there being a need for a prophet named Isaiah to speak to God's people. In the book of Genesis, some of us did the Genesis study this fall. In the book of Genesis, nine chapters after Adam and Eve were banished, God continues his rescue mission with Father Abraham. God tells Abraham in Isaiah chapter 12, leave from your country and your people and your father's household and the land I will show you. And he says in verse two of chapter 12, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. There's a, a prophecy, an Abrahamic prophecy saying that through Abraham, all of humanity is gonna receive a blessing. Well, this prophecy, nation that God promises will come, comes to fruition. It's the nation of Israel. It's the same one you see on the news, the same one that has a little spot on the map in the Middle East. It's the same one. The Bible is telling this history of that country. And this is actually playing out. Well, God created a people. He set apart a people for himself that he told Abraham he would do. And the people's name is Israel. God was their king and they were his people, but, but his people rebelled that they forsake the promises that they made to God. They went their own way. They broke their covenant. They wanted human kings. Instead of God being their king, they wanted a king like the rest of the nations around them. And so they said, give us a king, and God gave them a king. And and you see the Old Testament is full of this storyline of Israel having good kings and wicked kings, more wicked than good. And their whole storyline is one of tragedy, where they have this loving God who wants them to be a representative people that shows the world, this is what God is like. And instead, they rebel. And and one passage says they whore themselves out to the other nations. They, They forsake God. And over and over and over again, the pagan world around them influences them. But God doesn't give up. They're his people, he doesn't fail. The things that he's promised will come true and so he sends king after king, good kings and bad kings and he uses them in their storyline and he also sends them prophets, one of them named Isaiah. The prophets are there to warn them of their folly, to help them understand, hey, you are missing the mark. Hey, I have a better way for you, this is what I've promised and I've said. Don't go that way. If you do, these will be the judgments that befall you. This is coming. Prophets would speak like that, but also speak of hope. And so imagine picking up Isaiah and imagine hundreds of years, generations of people desperate for a rescue where they've had kings like Ahaz. At this time, King Ahaz was the king. King Ahaz is lost as a goose. He's sacrificing his own kids. He's listening to sorcerers. And as goes the king, so goes the people. Israel's in shambles. And they're desperate for someone to pull them out of their oppression. They were oppressed in Egypt. Right now, in this timeline of of Isaiah, the Assyrian nation is dominating them ransacking them, taking over their cities and villages. Assyria is destroying them. And Ahaz is letting them walk right in. And they long for a rescuer. And so when you pick up Isaiah nine, you've got a cultural context for a people group that's desperate for a rescue. And if you read Isaiah eight, darkness is covering the land. Isaiah eight, darkness is covering the land. If you wanna look at it, I'll read a little bit of it. Verse 21, they'll pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. When they're hungry, they'll be enraged and they'll speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. They'll look to the earth and behold, distress and darkness. Verse 22, the gloom and anguish, they'll be thrust into thick darkness. Isaiah is telling Israel, hey, you're gonna gonna be in a bad way. And then the text shifts. In verse 1 of chapter 9, there'll be no gloom for her who was in anguish. All of a sudden, there's a past tense to the reality of their suffering. All of a sudden, the prophet is speaking a hope message. He says, before there was, in verse 1 of chapter 9, before time there was contempt in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. If you get geeky and look at the map, you'll see these cities all around Galilee. Remember Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth? You remember the man from Galilee, Jordan? Well, here, 700 years before Jesus is born, you see them talking about one who's coming from Galilee. Beyond the, Lord, beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations, and then verse two, what we read together. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shown. God has not forgotten his promises to Abraham. He's not forgotten his plan to rescue people from sin that Adam and Eve caused. He's not forgotten. I'm sending one that will come from Galilee that will be a light. Do you guys remember what Jesus said about himself? I'm the light of the world. Anybody remember that one from John chapter eight? John chapter one, how about this? In him was light and that light was the light of man. 700 years before Jesus walked, 730 years before it plays out, the light of the world is being prophesied as coming. And so you've got a people, Israel, who's desperate for a savior. And Isaiah is talking about this one that is coming from a certain place, in a certain location, at a certain time. There's one that is coming. And he will be the light of the world. Verse three through five is essentially saying, all of your suffering won't be for waste. God's going to turn it around. And I know many of you in the room have had seasons of suffering. Many of you in the room have had seasons of darkness and some of, some of you in the room are living in one. And, and this message of prophecy to Israel lands very similarly to us here, those of us who have walked in darkness, whose life feels like chaos. It's not gonna be all for naught. I'm sending one who is a light of the world who you can hope in. I'm sending one One is coming who will rescue. Verse six, for us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah is the second most quoted book of all the New Testament authors. All of these prophecies, there's so many chapters that get pulled and put in the New Testament because he's talking about Jesus over and over and over and over again. And so what we look at here is not just a baby born in a manger, we're looking at a king that's coming. And I started breaking this passage out for Sam and I to teach through, and there are four. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, there are four. And, and as I started doing research, some commentators and some Bible theologians and some folks who translated put a comma after wonderful, that he will be wonderful. That's it. The king that's coming won't be like the kings that we've had, like the rulers that we look to. He'll be Wonderful. He'll be the one who has wonder that is full in him that we can lean into and go, wow, we can worship fully him. Wonderful. And counselor, I always think about like counselors. I have had a lot of friends who are licensed Christian professional counselors. I've needed a lot of counseling in my life where people can tell me which way to go and how to go there. Wonderful counselor. Like I've, I've, had a, I've had a couple of us have one really good, wonderful counselor that like guys have a lot of mess. Thank you, Lord, for Carol. Uh, and I've always thought about this passage as a wonderful counselor, like, like he's the, he's the wise, wise counselor, and I've attached it to the Holy Spirit, which is, we talk about him as the, the, the counselor. I'll send you the comforter. But the more I research about this passage, um, why, would that, why would that matter to a people, a, a nation that's getting ransacked by other nations? Why would that prophecy make sense to a people? You, you can have a wonderful emotional therapist. He's gonna come in and help you get out of your emotional situations. The people of Israel needed a king. They needed a rescuer. They needed a, a, a certain leader, shepherd. And, and one Bible version I have, the New English Translation, translates wonderful counselor as excellent strategist. His name will be called excellent strategist. His name will be the one who is all wise in figuring out all of our problems. He's the one who will lead a government with excellent strategy. Only his ways, only his directions, only his plans will work out and all of them will work out perfectly. His name will be called excellent strategist. That makes sense to a people that's suffering. That makes people who are desperate for a king fill with hope that he's got it all figured out. And so it made me think of a few things as we lean into this Advent season. Who do we really follow? I follow me all the time. And I'm not an excellent strategist. I think I'm okay. I think I can work problems out pretty good. But man, one wonderful advisor, I am not. And so often my plans are the ones that make sense that roll out to the front of the plan of action as opposed to engaging the one whose name is excellent strategist, who's the only one who can navigate life perfectly, who's done it perfectly as we looked at Jesus' life from birth to cross. So who are we following? Do we follow family members? Do we follow uh, parents? Do we follow siblings? Do we follow friends that we just trust implicitly and whatever they say, I'll just do it? Or do we engage the one who has come and, in, and ask him, what do you think? Which way should I go, left or right? This is how I should spend money. This is how I should spend time. This is what we should do with our life and our resources and our retirement and our future. Do we engage the excellent strategist in our little moments where we feel like we don't know which way to go? Is the one who's come, whose name is Wonderful Counselor, is he the one that we're following? Are, are there circumstances in your life right now, it feels like our... Uh, unnavigatable, uh, uncircumventable, that they just are giant obstacles that seem like there's no way around. He can help us around it. We can find hope in the one who's come because he is the excellent strategist. Are there holes in our lives that we've dug that we can't get out of? patterns of brokenness that we've just sort of let fester over time that have turned into isolation, turned into addiction, turned into behavior patterns that are just normal, where we just go, I just avoid stuff. We've been given a Savior, one who has come, who can help us not do those broken things anymore, who can help us get out of the holes that we've dug. He is the one. Advent begs us to ask the question, what do we need help with? What are we lacking right now that we can go, God, Savior, Father, the one whose name is, I need help with this. It shifts our prayers around. Advent can really re-engage our hope and change the way we look at life, not just for a few weeks or a few months, but for all of life, we can remember what his name is. And we can ask the question, what do you need help with? He has come, most wonderful advisor to help us in all the ways that we need help. And some of us uh, in the room may or, may be thinking, "Yeah, but you don't know what my hole is. You don't know what my circumstance is. You don't understand the gravity of the moment that I feel like I'm emotionally in or geographically in. You don't you don't get it. My life feels totally upside down and full of chaos." Uh, some of you may feel like. The window of time right now is is like Clark Griswold whenever things are falling apart, you know. And he says, Helen, look around you. We're at the threshold of double hockey sticks. Maybe maybe that's how your life really feels. When we pray, he's not answering my prayers. It feels like things are not coming together in the timeline I expected. He's the excellent strategist that sees everything we don't see. Is a thousand steps ahead of everyone we could ever be in. He's so far ahead of all the little details that he can put them together perfectly in our circumstance, and he knows what he's doing. Tim Keller says that God gives us everything we would have asked for if we know everything that he knows. He gives us everything we would have asked for if if we knew everything that he knows. And so even if your world is way upside down right now, the one who has come, his name, is excellent strategist, wonderful counselor, wonderful advisor, and he's got it all lined up. This is who he is, this is his name. Well, Israel got themselves into the hole primarily because they worshiped idols. That was kind of their thing, is that they saw the other people around them, and they go, you know what, that nation worships that idol, I'm gonna go for that one. That nation worships that, I'm gonna go for that one. I'm just gonna pick the thing that they do and I'm gonna do that because it feels like God's not coming through for me. That's a pretty typical pattern for Christians. And if we don't get God's resultant that we think should be his resultant when we want it, we try to go another way and solve our own problem. And oftentimes that turns into, we'll just chase this thing down. The Israelites had given themselves over to idol worship. And so at Advent, we get to ask ourselves this question, who do we worship besides him? I wrote in your notes so you could actually answer the question, what, what are my functional idols? What do I worship? Who do I follow and what do I worship? And that's a hard question to press into, to look in the mirror and go, this is how I spend my time and my money, so this is probably what I worship. But, but our idols keep us from remembering that the light has come. Uh, the low-hanging fruit of idols right now is just materialism, right? Right? Black Friday, I was talking with Kirsten about Black Friday and how sad that is that we call Black Friday this awesome opportunity to get a great deal when folks in the Libram generation recognized your parents, that there depression. Black Friday was when everything fell apart. But we, we have an idol of stuff, such a huge idol of stuff. And Dallas has gotta be towards the top of the list of the stuff idol capital of the country, right? Us in LA are probably fighting for who cares more about what they look like and how much stuff they have. What are our idols? Advent season can remind us and push us into looking at who do we really worship, what do we worship? Comfort, ourselves, our own works. Even this season, the obvious ones of buying stuff and spending money is, is easy to look at. But what about all the good work we do to try to validate and make ourselves feel better? This seems like a season of let's be generous and offset all of the selfishness for the whole rest of the year. Let's be generous and serve a bunch and, and, and see if we can justify our sin. What are we spending our energy on in time? <clears throat> One of the idols I feel like when you have kids you, you worship is future. Man, I gotta, I gotta have everything locked up for their future. Like if I'm not, My plan is not accurate and clear and sets them up for a future. I just, sometimes we can worship tomorrow and how am I gonna control the outcome of tomorrow as opposed to today, right now? sitting with the one who has come and receiving all of the hope and all of the things that he's offering us in himself. Israel needed a king to be born who was the wonder-filled one, who was the only one worthy of worship. All the other kings were terrible for worshiping, but this king, the one that is born, he is the wonderful advisor worthy of worship. And God's people, Israel, man, they, they didn't deserve rescue, did they? it's easy to think about their storyline and go, mine's not that bad. I didn't, I didn't worship idols on that level. I mean, I didn't sacrifice my kids to Asherah poles. Uh, so I'm doing pretty good, right? Like, I, I haven't spent a lot of time in huge concubines. So looking at this, they just worship sex. I mean, there's a bunch of really dark things that Israel did over and over and over again and rejected God's commandments for them. We can look at them and go, I don't, I don't really do that. Well, they didn't deserve there to be a king because of all that they did, and neither do we. Our sin is no different. When we look at Advent season, a son is given. A child will be born, a son will be given. I love that, that Isaiah uses that exact phrasing, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. Does anybody remember John 3, 16? For God to so love the world that he gave his only son. Advent invites us to remember the grace of God. What Jesus has accomplished, what God has accomplished in giving us his son, though we are people who worship idols and run amok and do our own thing and reject him and follow ourselves. We look at the cross and we look at Christmas and we look at all of the symbolism and we go, oh my gosh, how kind is he? that while my sin and my behavior and my thought processes and all the ways that I spend my energy and time, those ways are not the most holy and right. Wow, what a savior. Wow, what a gracious, rescuing king. How kind of it was him to come. We can look at Advent and remember how gracious God has been in sending us his son. The one that we are celebrating is wonderful. He's the only one who was wise enough to direct us out of our holes. He's the only one worthy of our worship and he has extended himself to us. This Advent season, man, I hope we don't miss him. I hope we're not so busy. I hope we're not so full of our own activities. I hope we're not so worried about all the other things that seem like they just take over December to be with the one who is worthy of worship, the one who can solve all of the real needs inside of our heart, the one who's come to rescue us. People all over the world, do Advent differently. In in China, they do um, lanterns with paper bags, and they fill the house, so the house is full of light. In some Spanish-speaking countries, people will spend a week just bouncing around from house to house, and family members trying to find a place to stay, like Joseph and Mary did, looking there's no home for them, and they, they remember Advent by practicing spend the night at people's houses randomly, just traveling all over the place. There's a couple other weird ones, you know, the people in the world remember Advent by... I just hope we worship, like Christie's prayer, that we would give our lives to him, that we'd gather here and we'd pray together and expect him to meet us and to provide for all that we are lacking, that he would be the one who solves all the things that we can't figure out, that we'd run to him. Uh, My hope is that we'd gather in his name and worship. And it's Sundays from here on out would, would be those spaces for us that times for lunches with family and friends, whenever you're doing small group stuff, that this would be a place where where it's full of worshipers that recognize that he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is coming again, and he did come, but we're, we're not gonna just be on either one of these polarities. We're gonna be right here today with the resurrected king. So that's my hope for us this Advent season. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thanks. And we can look, look at the scriptures and go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis and see that you are coming to rescue us. To go all the way back in the beginning and see your promises that you made. That you are the wonderful counselor. Lord, help us to not run to other places of solution or, or other places to worship. Help us to see. Clearly who you are and what you've accomplished, that this world phenomenon of presents and Christmas trees, they all point to you. That you're the everlasting Father, you're the evergreen, you're the eternal life, you're the hope. When we feel hopeless, you are it. Thank you for being the one who can hold all of our hope. Wow. (laughs) So God, um, help us in, in this, this next little bit of time together to really worship. By your Holy Spirit, would we not go through a, another service and not meet with you? And so God, would you, by your Spirit, fill the words of the song? God, would we pray where we're sitting and repent, ask for forgiveness, to receive your grace. God, would we just meet with you in, in this next few minutes? And then when we leave here, God, would this just be the beginning of a month-long acceleration of being with you that catapults us into the rest of the year? Lord, we love you. We thank you. We hope in you and you alone. Amen.